0: This is revolting with Steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent episode 22 single Speedin'.
1: And uh, content warning we're obligated to tell you before we start that this particular podcast contemplates both mature and immature themes. You might not like all the words we use or the ideas we bring up. If you're sensitive about these things, maybe this isn't the podcast for you. It's okay. We still love you, and and offensive all unto its own is the fact that we're talking about single speeding. Because what fucking year is this? Is this nineteen? <laughs> this is nineteen ninety six.
0: You know the thing is though, uh, single speeding. I can't use the G. I don't know why. Single speeding isn't it's like not a thing anymore but it's gonna be a thing in a minute because some kid is gonna be like you know what no one's done before is ride with just
1: one gear yeah maybe maybe i i mean i've like i think it's i i love it this is actually the first time i haven't had uh a single speed mountain bike specifically in uh, de- decades, really almost decade, almost two decades. And what did you do with your last, what did you do with your, I bike? sold it. I sold everything. I sold anything that people would buy before I moved here, uh, because I was in a giant per like an emotional frenzy and purged, and, you know, threw <coughs> the artwork away and sold bikes. And like, I was just trying to, I was trying to get rid of as much stuff as I could, cause I didn't know what to do or where I was going. Um, and <clears throat> I was kind of heartbreaking for sure, but also because I, I rode and I should also preface this like single, single speeding. I, it was always called, like I always heard it called one speeding. Like that's what everybody called. It. There was yeah, a, yeah. there was team one speed. They put the, put on the humbug hurry up race in Wairica, California. And, that was just a bunch of crazy fucking mountain people in hiking boots and overalls who were just monsters. Uh, and so team went, went in one speed. So that was one speed. It was just like one speed was always kind of what I heard it referred to as back in the, in the oldie old timey days. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, I did it. I did it for, st- a long time um and and i think that it kind of took its toll you know when you think about the the torsion that or the torque or whatever that you're putting on your lower back just cycle after cycle after cycle after cycle and my vertebrae were all jammed up and it's it's fucking hard you know i love it <laughs> it is fucking hard yeah.
0: i need to clarify before we go further yeah. Are, we're talking about one one speeding single speeding is this do we count fixed gears oh sure I mean yeah of course it, like it's all the same
1: riding without a choice of gears like you yeah, had yeah, like yeah, the yeah. choice of gears is yep. the is the cog or the freewheel and the chain ring that you put on and that's your that's your choice of gears but you there's no variance right yes I okay. got you yeah so so
0: what's uh, Let's do question one. Okay. Because because this is where we're at. Okay. What is your history with, with One Speed? And what do you think the attraction is? Uh, That's question one. Okay.
1: Well, years ago, and I'm guessing probably in, this is probably the early 90s, I remember seeing somebody uh, in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and they'd had a cut. They'd like made, they changed. They were riding a Bontrager. Bontrager was based in Santa Cruz at the time. And I loved Bontrager. Like that was like yet mm-hmm. the old Yetis and the old Bontrager's were like the coolest fucking mountain bikes to me. And somebody had a, had a, a Bontrager with hardtail with a campy track dropouts that they'd put on. Like they, they what not even paint it. They were just raw steel track dropouts. And, And they were riding this bike in, like, regular mountain bike trails, but it was, like, a big kind of BMX bike. Like, it was kind of BMX bike, but it was kind of a mountain bike, and I didn't really understand, but I fucking loved it.
0: Mm. And
1: then I became friends with – there was a little group of people who were – there were some people in Santa Cruz, and there were some people in Sacramento. Like, people don't really know this, but um, Ventana made the first production – one speed frame. Uh, they a lot of people think that it was Bianchi with the bus and the boss and the and the bass and and that whole line, but it was <laughs> yeah. it was Ventana and it was Robert Ives, Sean Hunt, and Scott Berg who convinced Paul Price of Paul Component Engineering to make a one speed group, and it was brakes and it was hubs and it, and Paul has said a number of times that he thought it was just going to be a thing that he'd make a few for those guys. And then he'd never make them again. And now it's become pretty foundational with his business. But um, yeah, as I I met these groups of people and there was an outlaw race called the Krusty Cup, the uh, Krusty California Cruiser Cup, Uh, it was just sort of, you know, the Santa Cruz contingent had put on a mountain bike race and then the, the San Francisco Bay Area contingent would put on a mountain bike race and then the Santa Rosa contingent, Sacramento contingent First, the season opener was a Sea Otter Classic, and then the season closer was the yrika the Humbug, Hurry Up, and it was just, it was just fucking cool. I mean, it was like this. These just these outside nine balls, you know, and it was like kind of a tough guy thing, uh you know, like like bunch of bunch of badasses riding bikes without gears. Yeah, I don't need gears. Yeah, it just seemed. Yeah. It was just really. It was. That's what appealed to me. Like I. I think I was at the Ring of Fire Mountain bike race, and there was a it was up in Occidental in Northern California, and it was the race that the first year Tom Ritchie had crashed in this one technical section and uh like he had torn part of his mustache off as as the legend goes, and it was actually affixed to the tree that he hit and the next year I went and there was a sign on the tree that he crashed into that like pointed out where Tom Ritchie's mustache was, had been left in the tree. Uh But I had raced gears that year and there was, I was there with my friend, Kevin. Well, I was there to see my friend Kevin. And that was when I first met like Rick Hunter, Robert Ives, Scott Berg, Matt Neary, who was one of the founders of Soulcraft. Like, there was a, I'm, the class was maybe 20 people or something. And I saw all those guys racing single speeds. And I just was like, this is the weirdest, coolest thing. I, this is a thing that I, I want to be a part of. This is something that I feel more aligned with. And I, I suppose that was probably in 95 or 96. And so it just kind of went from there.
0: And And so single speed... One speed mountain bikes was your first thing, not fixed gear, like track bikes. Uh, No,
1: no, I understand. I mean, I've had them and I've ridden them, but it was never really like, it didn't make any sense for me to ride them in traffic. And when I, you know, there was a handful of people riding fixed gears when I was a messenger. And um, this one contingent, these like five, Four or five black kids came, I think they came from DC, and they were fucking gnarly. They were really nice, really nice. They all lived in Oakland, and there was a bicycle shuttle that we would all take that was run by uh, Caltrans in the morning, and you put your bike on a trailer because you couldn't get your bike on the BART train uh, during commuting hours, so Caltrans ran this shuttle, and and all the messengers and a few bike commuters would all take it together, but these kids were fucking dope and they just had like this uniform they were like black dickies or black ben davis pants blue windbreakers and a couple of them wore like pursuit style helmets and they'd ride these weird clapped out track bikes but rode them super good like all over the city Mm -hmm. and they were the first people that i ever saw do cool tricks and uh, a guy named richie Ditta, who was from new york saw him jump a set of railroad tracks on a, on his fixed gear. Like it was shit that I just didn't understand. You know, I'm just trying to Mm. fucking not get run over. I can't pay that much attention to what my bike's doing. Right. Um, so yeah, that was never riding fixed gears in a velodrome or, or in a city that, that was never my thing. I, I didn't have the skill for
0: that. I did that. I, I rode fixed in the city for a bunch of years with some predictable outcomes <laughs> um, yeah. for skin loss. Yeah. <laughs> for face smashing. Yeah. Uh, but I really I mean fixed is a <clears throat> fixed is a different thing. It's just a different way to ride a bike. It's a different way to control the bike. And I think it's super fun. I mean, I think right it was like super trendy, cool for a while, and that's whatever. Everything has its moment in the sun. But it's also a really fun way to ride a bike. Um, separately from what's cool, I think.
1: I'd love to do it if I, you know, if I could ride just around town and not worry about, not worry about cars. Because I get the whole, you know, people say it's like riding in traffic. It's like a chess game, you know. You have to, like, look several steps ahead and always have an out. Like, I've ridden in traffic for, since I moved to Oakland in 1989, you know, like... (sighs) I understand the concept of riding in traffic and looking ahead and, and judging all possible outcomes and stuff. But riding a track bike or a fixed gear, it just it yeah. just changes that dynamic so dramatically for me that I, I don't know. It just seemed like too much of a gamble. You're putting a lot of faith or I felt like I had I was putting a lot of faith in in what drivers were going to do. And I don't have faith in drivers ever doing the right thing, you know, like.
0: Yeah, that's smart not to have that faith. I, I, I did really well. All the problems I had riding fixed in traffic were created by myself, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or by pedestrians. Uh, I never had. A, I mean, I've been hit by cars on other for other reasons <laughs> but but the but being fixed uh or uh single yeah being riding a fixed gear only ever screwed me up when with like pedestrians coming out from behind the bus yeah uh you know silly silly things like that that's why you
1: just you just hit them i mean it's unfortunate but you know yeah, like we've all been learned to look both ways before stepping into traffic and the one i hit one guy on Second Street, I was doing a, a Transbay tag, and I was actually on a coaster brake bike. And this dude stepped out of behind a van, like in front of a van, into traffic, right into me. And my front wheel went right between his legs, and his face went straight into my radio. And that dude, I mean, it was like a movie punch. Like this guy was just like mm. arms and legs out, backwards <laughs> through the air. And just was fucking laid out and had the radio grill imprinted on his forehead. No exaggeration. And I was just like, are you okay? You know? And I kind (laughs) of helped him out of traffic and I, I should have stayed, but you know, like I got to go. I mean, I have to be in Oakland in 15 minutes. And if this tag burns, because right. we had federal court filings all the time. I did a fucking trans-based stay of execution at 5 o'clock one time. And I don't know if this was it, because I was hauling ass and I had to get to Oakland. But, you know, like, if I don't get this thing filed by 5 o'clock, somebody's going to die. People don't realize yeah. that messengers, not it so much anymore, but, like, especially people who are bonded. Like, they're carrying some vital fucking shit. And I fucking knocked... The, I knocked the garbage out of this dude, and then I bailed.
0: <laughs> I like the idea that that dude is somewhere right now with like a radio grill <laughs> imprint still on his face.
1: Uh, he was he was not psyched.
0: They call him Radio Ron now. <laughs> um, like yeah, call, call He was just Ron before. Ron.
1: <laughs> Fuck, he was he wasn't psyched, and his buddy wasn't psyched, but they were both so stunned and i think i might have said you know this is the best case scenario like stepping into traffic without looking
0: cuz otherwise that right. dude would have
1: gotten fucking killed right you know? anyway
0: yeah all the all the ones that i i i don't i never chose like oh ditch to save the pedestrian mm it was like i remember it was one of those deals where the bus was waiting at a light and it, and the bus was like three or four cars back. So it wasn't like at the it wasn't at the crosswalk. I didn't like blaze into a crosswalk. Right. I think this guy crossed like mid street and he and his kid, little kid, came out from behind the bus. And I was like, Ny-h! And I just threw I I. I don't even know what happened. It was one of those deals where somehow you kick yourself in the back of your own head. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then, and then that dude helped me up. He's like, Oh, I'm re-, at least he was cool enough to, you know, acknowledge that like they had done, they had done the wrong thing.
1: And thank goodness the kid was um, okay too. Cause that would have changed the dynamic entirely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's gnarly. I, you know, I I see people riding really recklessly, really stupidly, on a regular. Um, hmm. But there's also, you know, there's there's very little infrastructure, and everybody—it's everybody's job to look out for everybody. You know, cyclist responsibility to not be stupid in traffic. And this is—I mean, whatever. This is off-topic. It's everybody's responsibility. But occasionally, you know, in those rare instances where you fucking you lay somebody out and there's really, you know, what am I, am I going to put myself under the car that's passing me on my left to, to, to spare you or, you know, like you can only, you can only do so much heavy lifting.
0: I mean, I think it's worth asking if it's even a good idea to ride fixed in traffic. I did it for a bunch of years and I rode very recklessly for a long time. Yeah. Uh, until I, until I did get hit by a car and, uh, Changed changed up my game. Yeah, it's because I definitely felt invincible up to that point. It's not my bag, you know. And to see people who are really good at it, like
1: that's that's fucking sick. But it's never been it's never been my bag. Uh, My buddy Berkeley, who I used to messenger with, his chain broke coming down a long, a particularly long hill, and you know he's like throwing his back foot on his tire on his rear wheel and. Um, like leaning into a building, like friction stopping against it. It was just so, (laughs) it was so, it could have gone so badly. And I think that happened to him a couple of times, like breaking chains and, uh, you know, when you realize like, oh, okay, maybe this isn't so practical anyway, whatever that's, you know, if that's your bag, more power to you. But
0: yeah, I think that's a young person's, um, yeah. I, th- I I got, I, later I got, just to bring it back to mountain bikes, I, when I started work at seven, the first bike I, I got at seven was a single speed 650B mountain bike. You still have it? Which, I have the bike, I've swapped the dropout, so it's got gears now. Okay. Um... But I remember when I got that bike, it was like this minute where, you know, single speed mountain biking just made perfect sense to me. And I was like, yes, yeah, yes, this is the thing that I'm going to do. And then I rode that bike for a few years and I was like, God damn, I would like to have some gears. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: would I would like to I mean, I'm in the process of trying to figure out how to put together a proper one speed again. You know, I act, I actually hmm. asked Robert. Ives a couple years ago. Cause if anybody's going to build me a single speed mountain bike, it should be Robert, you know? And he's like, man, I don't even know like the fucking G- like suspension geometry or anything for those things anymore. Like I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know. I could, I, I would like to have, I would like to have one, but I think, um, it would be an entirely different dynamic than it used to be. Cause I'm not like, not the tough guy, you know? And yeah, I was a tough guy for a little while or maybe, you know, like I've, was I mean, well definitely the self self professed self proclaimed tough guy. I don't think anybody else called me that. But I'd like to, yeah, I'd like same to have one. one again,
0: maybe for a little while. Do you know that's where the name robot came from? Uh-huh. Is that um I used to ride through the winter in Boston and um people before I worked in the bike industry, I was just always out in it, and people would say, don't you get cold? And my brother, one day there was like a group of people and I had just come in and I was like, maybe like with frozen shit on me, you know? And they were like, don't you get cold? My brother was there and he turned and looked at them and go and said, robots don't feel cold.
1: (laughs) Robots don't feel emotion. They don't feel pain. They're not worried about the temperature.
0: Yeah. The funny thing is that I was like, yeah, because I'm a tough guy. And his point was more like, no, he's an asshole. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, I think there's some, there was a degree of self, maybe some some sort of self-deprecation or self-loathing, you know, like definitely when it came to racing, like putting yeah. myself through those paces to race a single speed mountain bike. Um, mm. And I went, uh, shortly after, I met my former partner. Like I was like, eh, I'm, I'm not really feeling this anymore. Like I don't feel the need to put myself through these kind of paces anymore. It's it mm. weird. I don't know. It could have been just like coincidental timing, but, um, um, I, I still have a single speed cross bike, which is also terrible. They're terrible to race. I don't like <laughs> racing it. Uh, except for on like specific <laughs> kinds of courses, like really wet, really muddy courses. It's right. terrible. It's just, it's the worst. Um, and I haven't, yeah. I, you know, I haven't raced cross. I've missed three of the local races cause I just, you know, whatever. I got to close the bar and get home at four and then I wake up and then think I'm going to race and right. then turn myself inside out and then go work at the bar and go to bed at four again. I don't know. It's just like it. The timing hasn't been there for me this season. Uh, But right, like going out and doing a ride where it's just kind of what you can't ride, you push. And, and that's, that's fun. And also, you know, fucking I'm 25 years older. Wait, 20, no, 25, four, three, 23 years older than I was when I started riding and racing single speed mountain bikes. Like, come on. Right. I'm just trying to, yeah,
0: you did your tour, your tour.
1: (laughs) I was trying to to survive here. Yeah. Um, it's funny though. Like the four bikes I brought with me, I still have five bikes in, um, Oakland and the four bikes I brought with me. I was like, okay, my cross bike, like geared cross bike, gravel bike, whatever, all rounder, my comfort bike. Got to bring that for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, right. And I got, got to bring a mountain bike obviously. And I got to bring a town bike of some sort, like some kind of a bar bike, you know, rain bike, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then a single speed cross bike. But my town rain bike is also a single speed cross bike. So (laughs) I bought, I brought four bikes with me, mountain bike, cross bike, single speed, cross bike. And then because duh, another single speed cross bike is the maybe like the dumbest collection but you know, it also is sort of like gives kind of fills all of the needs.
0: No, I think it makes sense.
1: It's just what, what are we, what are we talking about? Simplicity? Like right. um, Single speed bikes, town bikes, cross bikes, mountain bikes, whatever. It just, there's just kind of less shit to go wrong. I mean, you're still going to break spokes. Yeah. You're still going to fucking, if you have hydraulic brakes, still going to have to do brake bleeds like it's not they're not without maintenance maybe just a little less
0: i think i think that was one of the big attractions for me when i built that single speed mountain bike uh was just the simplicity of it and like not having to adjust derailleurs all the time but do you i mean when you um, have
1: a geared bike do you, is it just like oh god i'm gonna go on a ride and i gotta adjust the entire dra- drive train again they're really it's not it doesn't take that much maintenance
0: <laughs> it doesn't the first one well, it doesn't but it speaks to the laziness He puts <laughs> like a noble shine on my laziness <laughs> <laughs> i remember
1: one of the Krusty cup races was on pine mountain and that's a that's a a ride in Marin, and it starts off with this just brutal. Climb, it just climbs and, climb, and It's like baby heads, and it's just fucking gnarly. And my friend Leroy told me he's like, reach down and and pluck your brake cable on your top tube. It's like a bell. It's like a like you know if you're walking yeah. or whatever. Like I've got momentum. I'm on my pedals. Like bing, 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 you know, and i like let people know to yeah. get out of your way. And it was fucking, it was super hard. And we were all hanging out after one of those races and somebody had a yellow Phil Wood single speed frame. So, and I think it was probably a frame that was built by the c and then branded for mm-hmm. Phil Wood. And it was the first mm-hmm. single speed I saw with hydraulic brakes. And I was like, like Fuck, fucking get out of here with that shit. It's fucking sell out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like was so. oh <laughs> uh, that looks like progress <laughs> i was so bent uh, out of shit. assholes like in my own head i was like get the fuck who's this guy who's this clown get out of here you know right i mean right. i didn't say anything but i had my my little internal elitist tantrum <laughs> which is so so hilarious now you know same thing when, when right. uh when uh fucking uh Travis Brown showed up to the first single speed or not the first single speed worlds, but the first sort of official one in Rancho Cucamonga in 1998. I'm like, dude, don't you have like races that you can win? This is just like everybody's racing for second, you know? Right. And I kind of like I didn't I was sort of had a chip on my shoulder about Travis for a couple of years just because of that, you know, and then it turns out he's Mm -hmm. a super cool guy. I'm like, well, God but, I know, I know. great. Now <laughs> well, I got to be friends with this guy that I was like d- determined to be mad at. Hmm. Yeah. You know, open your mind, man. And the rest will follow. I think that's how that well, let's goes. Ju- Let,
0: yeah. Something like that. Let's, let's jump to question three. Cause I think we're getting, we're sort of getting at it. Question three is in the end. Is single speeding, one speeding, just as elitist as any other category of cycling. Yeah.
1: Well. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, fuck, I, I did it. I, I was, <laughs> I liked it, it at the beginning. At my, you know, in my initial inclusion in that little gang of, of oddballs, Farantino, Mike Ferentino was the first guy I think I'd ever seen. He had a, we're one of the first guys. He had a, a retro tech single speed and it's just fucking cool and he's like he's like grandpa he's like the old he's fuck at that point he was probably like 30 years old but he was just like the old wise sage you know and like <laughs> uh-huh. we were all kind of like these like like sh- screwball he was like the screwball pied piper you know and right. um and because it was like this c- cool little segment of the cycling population like we had our own sort of our own rules and it was our own gang and it kind of like it was not skateboarding when when I was a kid if you'd see another person on, on a skateboard it was a the secret handshake was already taken care of you know and you'd see uh. on the rare occasion in in the in, the, in the, those days you'd see somebody on a single speed you already had the same vocabulary you were all you were all kind of like you you knew and um and that was kind of I don't know that was kind of there was something kind of special about that to me, which is why I was attracted to it to begin with. And I think that I probably, there was kind of an elitist, like this our club. Nobody else knows the rules. I'm in
0: the club and you're not in the club. Don't come see this band. This is my yeah, band. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, you know, as soon as I remember the first year that whenever Cannondale had a production single speed at the trade show, I was like, okay, well, you know, the secrets, the secrets out and it's fucking it's over. It's, well now, but it's cool. Like, of course it's a cool thing. Of course people want to take part in this cause it's fun. And why the fuck not? But it's, I mean, to your analogy, like this was the band that we knew about and now everybody knows right. about it. But there was yeah. a time that a bunch of people knew about it that I didn't know about it and I was included in it. So why the fuck not? You know? If yeah. they'd sh-
0: well this is this is mature
1: <laughs> if they'd shunned well looking back on it if they'd shunned me or if that's you know other skaters had shunned me or people had been a dick to me I just felt like maybe I was kind of good at getting in on the ground floor of things and so there was something yeah. there's something special about that and something that you kind of embrace for yourself and your own uh, but it doesn't doesn't make it it, it shouldn't make it so that anybody else can't take a part of it, pardon it because it's fucking cool, right? That's all.
0: Sure. And when you were at Swobo, there was a whole lot of one-speed bikes getting made there.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the first version of Swobo, the like version one, I always call it version one, two, and three, and I was working for them in version two, and I was a messenger in version one. But it was through them that I met Robert Ives that I got my first Ventana. You know what I mean? And he had Mm -hmm. these campy, the campy sheriff star hubs. He had a wheel set built with those that he gave me. So I was riding, you know, like the first production one speed with these campy hubs. And it was fucking cool. Um, And they were kind of the nucleus of this whole, this whole thing. It was through Swelbo that I met all of those guys. All of those, you know, all of the, the or, and guys, I mean, sort of generically, but that group of people, um, they had a party at the Sea Otter. And I've talked about this in other episodes called the Lala Pajama thing. And it was basically like go race wearing pajamas, go race one speeds wearing pajamas. And there was like uh, Farantino had a van full of beer, full of heckler brow beer that he opened up the back and it was just stacked ceiling to floor full of cases of beer and there was kiddie pool and tiki torches and everybody was just fucking partying it was the single speed camp you know it was fucking cool and that was like my introduction to that whole that whole thing so they were really a catalyst the ver- first version of swobo was really a catalyst to it and uh sky you know short a few years later a couple years later sky jaeger started the production single speeds for bianchi and and she was the production manager she left Bianchi to come to Swobo version 2 and so all of the bikes right. that we had the single speed bikes those were her brain children so there's yeah. the connection
0: there yeah but you were really you were really marinating in it
1: oh for sure yeah i mean they i was i was embraced by Swobo v1 and and all of the the goofballs that were sort of circling their wagons around that little business. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of, you know, just kind of stuck with it. I, I joked for a long time that, uh, that, uh, if, uh, if it wasn't for Swobo, I wouldn't have any friends because <laughs> I met so many people through that and ended up working on the Norba circuit because of my associations and friendships that I made through Swobo and, you know, I was invited to the my first trade show in Anaheim uh, with Robert Ives and Scott Berg, and I met them because of Swobo. Like, it was all, you know, it was just all of these people were making friends through this one little weird clubhouse.
0: Did you have a sense <clears throat> then of, like, this is really cool shit, and people don't all the way understand that yet, but they're going to? Uh,
1: I didn't know that anybody would, I didn't know it was a going to kind of a situation, but I definitely knew it was fucking cool then. And then, you Mm. know, and even like, uh, Gene Oberpriller was managing the Bianchi, like the actual Bianchi factory race team. Like he was, I think managing whatever he called it, babysitting the Italians. That's how he referred to it. Uh And he showed up to a single speed race, one of the Krusty Cups in Sacramento, And like, that was when I first met him and it was through him that I met all the other people in Minneapolis and they had their own scene happening simultaneously. Like they had single speed races and you know, it was like these little, uh, these little fucking pods of people kind of doing the same thing at the same time all over the country, sort of unbeknownst to one another. I think maybe I'd heard about team huge ass at that point. Um, yeah. and they were doing the 24 hour of Canaan races on a fixed gear. Have you, have you heard about, I that? feel like, yeah. Yeah. Fucking weird shit. Weird people doing weird shit all at the same time. This all
0: reminds me of scene report in maximum rock and roll, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, how else would we seriously, like I'm at hurl. Um, well, i became aware of her through Swobo because he'd sent some cars or coffin shit to the office, and I saw a shirt and a copy of the fanzine, and I loved fanzines, and I was like, fuck, this is cool. I gotta figure I gotta track this guy down. And then i maybe I'm I met Gino before or after, but then you know realized that they were friends. It was it was really cool and really organic. Like that's the thing that I love the most about it. So maybe, yeah, to answer. Uh, it, what was the question? It elitist. <laughs> yeah, it was, I feel like it, well, I felt like yeah, it was probably it, kind it, of elitist because we were the only ones who it, knew we were having our own secret conversation. Yeah. As far as I understood.
0: Yeah. But there were people who, I mean, it was never not going to go mainstream, right?
1: Oh, well, I mean, fuck, cool shit always does, you know? Yeah. And like, you just kind of got to let. You got to be now this is my perspective is that you kind of if you if you're doing something and you know it's fucking cool it's it's always going to be embraced by a bunch of people like cool shit you know it just takes a little while for other people to recognize wh- what that is
0: And I mean to some degree uh what you did with the how to avoid the bummer life blog made that happen mm. Well, come on
1: me, wait, (laughs) Mm, I, well, I don't know. I don't, because I don't have any, I don't have any real general perspective of it because I was doing it from one side of a computer and I didn't see the influence, you know, in real time.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, sitting 3000 miles away, that was my, um, you know i don't want to like make it into more these are this is not a great analogy but you know talking about maximum rock and roll there was a time right when you would get maximum rock and roll wherever you lived in the world and you were like oh this is like the punk rock yellow pages right this is like i'm trying to belong to this club and this is the 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 meeting minutes and this is how i know what's going on and there was a degree to which as <clears throat> let's say single speed culture was blossoming that how to avoid the bummer life was one of the, um, media touchstones. It was one of the ways to like, kind of like get a vibe of what, I mean, as you talk about all of these, these California races and things, I mean, I get this real, there's a real West coast vibe, right? It's like the beginning of mountain biking is very West coast, Right.
1: Uh, I mean, I guess you know, with it, with a traditional understanding, yeah. But but that same shit was happening other places. It was just that was sort of where it, you know, it was happening in New England. It was happening in the UK. Like if you talk to people who are doing this stuff, it was it was happening everywhere. It was just that California really like got the spotlight for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, I
0: think I think this is this is the thing. Like. When you, you, like, I identified with a lot of these things as they were happening, and so you're you're putting your tentacles out trying to find the, uh, you, the other oddballs and trying to find the other ways into, you know, you're trying to find the new bands and you're trying to find the new whatever, and you're trying to, like, really understand what this culture is so that you can be part of it, and I think, you know... Um, back then I would have said that, uh, you were putting out a, you were putting out a strong signal from your weird little pirate radio station.
1: Mm. Um, well, that's cool. I mean, I just, it was just kind of like talking about shit that I thought was cool, you know? And
0: well, that's how it that's works. That's how it
1: works. Right. If
0: you had been like, I'm the Pied Piper, everyone listened to me. People would have been like, get fucked. Kind of, you know?
1: kind of. But the bike, but the bike world is attracted to comfortability and familiarity to, I think, to a degree, because there are other, you know, there are other somebody referred to like there's a, another kind of weblog media channel, whatever. And they were referring to them as sort of the Orange County choppers of uh, of like bike, like <clears throat> underground bike media. Which I thought was funny, yeah. and the, and they referred to me as like the Indian Larry of 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 Bike <laughs> Media, which is fucking cool. I mean, he died tragically yeah. uh, and w- way too soon, but and he worked in general obscurity in like a shithole in Brooklyn or wherever his shop was. But I I like that because there's something sort of you know I, I was honored because I think Indian Larry was super cool.
0: Um, I mean, I think you want to be involved. You want to be involved with a thing because you're genuinely excited about it. Not because you're like, I'm going to make some money from this shit. Right. And I guess, I mean, clearly you've made vast sums of money. I'm looking (laughs) at you sitting in a walk-in closet next to a pile of
1: shoes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is pretty lavish. Uh, yeah, I think where I was going, I see how you roll. I think where I was going with the, chopper, the, the Indian Larry analogy is that it, it, wait, where, where was I going with that analogy? Um, people go, people are attracted to, to what's safe and easily digestible, you know? And, and also, you know, bike riders are cut from every kind of cloth. Like people aren't going to be people. I remember at one point I was looking at, at, um, analytics and I had like, a ton of traffic coming from Australia, like a lot of traffic. And there were like, Mm -hmm. I could count the number of hits that were coming from Florida. Like nobody in Florida liked what (laughs) I was doing or, or appealed. And I might still be friends with like the seven people in Florida that were coming to, to the website. Um, Yeah. But if that's not, if you know what I, what I do isn't going to be for everybody's cup of tea and, and that's fine because in the bicycle world, we've got every every kind of uh, walk of life and and the yeah. economic socioeconomic level and everybody you know everybody, anybody, everybody can ride a bike. um it's just what mm-hmm. your aesthetics are and what kind of media or information appeals to you and mm. and maybe you're gonna you know you I don't fucking nirvana They're too loud uh, ugh, until it gets played on mainstream radio. And then you're like, okay, well, if everybody else says that this is cool, then then I feel safe with this, yeah. you know? So right. maybe it's that, maybe it's that kind of thing. Like if it's power, power and numbers, you can't decide for yourself. Or you don't want to decide for yourself if something is appealing to you because you're not quite sure, I, you know, but that like, that goes into a whole weird sort of psychology of human beings. I don't understand You can't speak on. Right. Yeah. That's fair. I think you and I and the, maybe the seven people in Florida who are listening to this right now, we all have a sort of foundational understanding of what makes us tick and why we're attracted to shit that everybody else, maybe everybody else didn't know about. Maybe that's, that's the important thing to us is to, to, to have some ownership over whatever it is we do or whatever it is we align our personalities with. And it's got to be weird and people don't, it's important that people don't know about it.
0: Yeah. Yep. I think that's right. Yeah. There's something egoy probably for me about, like, I want to know about the weird thing. And sometimes I'll see a weird thing and I'll be like, I like it. But maybe it's not actually good. <laughs> maybe it's just weird. Yeah. And is being weird alone the reason to like it? I I wouldn't say so. Um. No. But what if we did set it on fire? <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> and uh, it's interesting. I don't. I don't think so. But also, like, if that's what, if that's what keeps you afloat, like, I want to like this thing. I like. This, I don't like this thing so much that it, it goes all the way around the dial, and I actually do like it. And I like it because yeah. it's, you know, do, do I actually like Psychic TV? Not really. But do I like it because it's so fucking out there, like early butthole surfer stuff, do I like early butthole right. stuff? Not particularly, but I love Correct. that yeah. it, like there was nothing like that that existed before that, you know, with the films yeah, of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like with weird surgery films and explode. like it was dangerous, it was scary and it was yeah. And yeah. unique and I liked it because of that. Did I like it because the music was good or that it appealed to my aesthetic or my tastes? Musically? No, yeah. no, not really. I liked it for other
0: reasons. Yeah. I, it's so funny you brought up Butthole Surfers because that's exactly how I feel about them. <laughs> I didn't, like, I'm not putting that on and tapping my toe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad it exists, though. Yeah.
1: yeah I don't celebrate their catalog. It, it almost any yeah. <laughs> to any degree. I, you know, I quote, I quote them. I love Trans Syndicate Records. I love that, you know, that shit, King Coffee uh, had his own record label that, like, put them John Boy and the Cherubs and all kinds of weird shit that was, you know, I, I love that, but it wasn't, you know, what they did. I think that's probably the base, best example.
0: And in some ways for just speaking for myself, I think it's a reaction against everything else, right? Like, like if, if I had to listen and I know pop music is good, I don't want to get into this whole stupid thing. Like, but if I had to listen to it all the time, I would swallow a bullet. I just, <laughs> part of my enjoyment of weird things is just abject boredom with what's in front of me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a really good way of putting it. And if, if you ask me to repeat what you just said, I don't think I could do it, but it's a, I, I love the perspective because that's exactly, you hit the nail on the head.
0: Yeah, I I love—I love—my attraction to hardcore was, like, I am so tired of 80s pop music, like, synth—like, whatever that syrupy 80s synth, whatever, like, I—it makes my flesh crawl. And the first time I heard hardcore, I wasn't like, oh, I understand the rebellion contained within their um, sparse melodies. (laughs) Like, I didn't think any of that shit, but I was like— yeah, I'm irritated as fuck too. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It was more like um I if if someone puts Duran Duran on right now, I'm going to do a murder. And I don't even hate Duran Duran. I don't care. It's I've, my it was it's it's more like god, I just want to opt for something interesting.
1: Yeah. I've grown to I've grown to appreciate Duran Duran, but I will I understand what you I understand what you're saying. Uh It was, uh, there was, there's something I didn't spend so much time like racing mountain bikes and, and watching road racing. And, you know, it was, uh, it was, I, I I paid attention to it. I read the magazines. I was interested in it, but there was, so I wasn't so like, I need something that is diametrically opposed to the traditional, you know, but I think that just in general, I've always been attracted to something that was different than the traditional just because it's I don't know that whatever. That's just how my genetics are. And or just what are what are the weird kids doing? Yeah, but not even the weird. I mean, because like if that were the case, I probably would have spent a bunch more time in like drama club in high school because that's where the super fucking weird kids were. And I didn't. And had I, I might have ended up being friends with Trey Parker and I could have had a hand in South Park and then we'd be friends and I'd be a millionaire, you know, because that's where that's where he was hanging out in Evergreen Senior High School. But I hung out with the weird art kids, you know, like we talked about last week.
0: Right. You're you're. Your gang of anarchist mimes.
1: Yeah. And I was the weird kid in the weird kids. Cause I like, I remember like I was looking through this magazine at a party and there was a Calvin Klein ad and it was just, it was like the sepia tone photo and there was men, naked men and women and like perfect bodies, like draped all over the sculpture. And I was like, that is fucking tight. And this kid, Scott sitting next to me, looked at me and he goes, ah, Fag. So like, so like, I couldn't even, (laughs) I couldn't even get away with like being that, like I was the weirdo and the weirdo. I was an outcast of the outcasts, but I wasn't, but I wasn't so outcast that I was like hanging out in the computer lab. Again, had I had probably would not be sitting in a closet right
0: now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of nice shoes. (laughs) <laughs> really? So, I got. There's. I see like six pairs of Vans old
1: schools. Like maybe. Well, yeah. So I got the share strawberry Vans just because I had to get the share strawberry Vans. Um, and my my friend Sam, his kid worked at a van store, and they gave me a deal, so I got a couple pairs of Vans oh, before they yeah. quit working there. Yeah. And I you know, I mean, fuck, Vans are expensive so vans call us up <laughs> yeah no doubt call us up <laughs> i've been working god damn it. i've been working on some kind of like advertising deal or some kind of sponsorship for so long like i love i love vans i'll support them
0: forever i but can see like my god they're expensive for me f- five pairs in my own closet from where i sit vans call us the fuck
1: up <laughs> We're so so much free advertising you might sell one pair of shoes because of this podcast
0: Upwards of one pair.
1: <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Maybe that $65 is going to keep the lights on. Yeah. In the $65 million a year company or however much they pull down. Oh, I'm sure it's more than that. Yeah. Well, they're owned by. The Van by,
0: Doren family. They're owned
1: by uh, that one business that owns like North Face and shit. Like it's like a umbrella company. Right. Anyway, they're doing, they're doing okay. I bet they're not sitting in any closets. They're doing real good for themselves. Yeah. Uh, Call us up. Anywho, yeah, attracted to what's maybe not the thing that everybody else is attracted to, doing the thing that's maybe a little different than the thing that everybody else is doing. And that's yeah. kind of how we're wired, and that's how we grew up. And I think that's how a lot of people who maybe come here to listen to this are wired and grew up. And that's probably why we started writing bikes with one gear to begin with, because it's a little different than the shit that the other kids were doing. Right. Yep. So, yep. There it is. But I certainly have grown into, a have grown into a, a a person who wouldn't fucking trip or roll their eyes at somebody doing it, you know, just because it's just not my, no. it's not my thing. I don't, I'm not a fucking, I don't have the energy to be a gatekeeper.
0: Yeah. I have the energy to be a gatekeeper as long as the gate just can be open.
1: <laughs> I mean, you just stand there. If I'm just standing there and like... Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. hey, uh, mm-hmm. come, yeah. come on, everybody. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. As long as I got a, a bottle of beer and a, a game of Angry Birds to play or whatever. Everybody in the pool. Anyway, uh, that, we did it. That is uh, weird. We did it again. About 50 minutes in or so. And, um... Robot is a little under the weather this week, so um I had to I had to help sort of pull him out of the doldrums and I'm glad you're looking a little brighter eyed and more bushy-tailed than you were when we when we began this conversation.
0: Yeah, you got me you got me fired up. I have the COVID-19. Yeah. <sighs> which I feel like getting COVID-19 in 2022 is like is like if I said to you Oh, I started watching this show, Mad Men.
1: <laughs> I thought you were going to do a totally different analogy and be like, man, it's like being, it's like 1968 and saying that you got the clap. Oh. I don't know. That's what it does. Um, <laughs> funny story. I've got the clap too. That's just, <laughs> no, that's just where my mind went. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, I hope that you feel better and you are recovered all in, all in good speed.
0: I'll be ready to rip shortly. Okay.
1: And then, uh, you know, uh, we can't close out without saying thank you to the folks for listening to revolting. Uh, also, if you have questions for us or topics you'd like us to pontificate on, you can email me at Steve at cycling independent or robot at robot (laughs) (laughs) at (laughs) (laughs) at cycling independent. (laughs) If you like this or Uh any of the other fun stuff you find on the Cycling Independent website, please consider a voluntary paid subscription. It's currently the only way we have to pay ourselves uh, for the price of one Top Ramen a day. You could buy, Robot or me, an additional Top Ramen. An additional Top Ramen. So, Mm, uh, on behalf of the Cycling Independent, uh, uh, a revolting and robot i'm stevel as always and i'm robot yeah take care of yourself take care of each other world's a fucking scary place these days so that said don't forget to suck
0: it don't forget